In this episode, we talk sports cars, a big powertrain rumor for the LX, and break down the latest sales number, this week on the Lexus Enthusiast Podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Kevin Watts. I'm the founder of Lexus Enthusiast. Joining me is Michael Pannone, Executive Editor. Hey Kevin. How's it going? Pretty good. I think uh, the question that I have for you right off the bat, and I think everybody wants to know is, did you trade your GX in for an RX 450H? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. As much as I love the RX 450H, I'm keeping the GX. But some of the schematics and things for the 22 GX leaked out in the last week, and it shows the touchscreen and Apple CarPlay and stuff like that. And wow. yes, I mean, the thought crossed my mind of like, you, you guys know, like, I don't really care that much about CarPlay. The only thing that was a little tempting to me is they're going to offer a special edition of the 22 GX and it's in Nori green. And you know that I oh, love that yes. color. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's, a be- it's a very unusual color. I think it would look pretty good on that. I do too. Like, cause in the first generation GX, that green color that they offered was one of my favorites. Mm. But at this point I've paid $1,700 to have the front half of the car done in Expel. Oh yes. <laughs> protective film. Film and then you know plus the platinum warranties right yeah so it's like eh, i'm not sure all that's worth the color green so we'll stick around I, it'll stick around i've i've only seen uh nori green in a, on an es and uh, oh it, it's pretty nice i saw it yeah. at the um at the launch the es launch in uh, nashville that was mm, quite yeah. a few years ago now, but uh, it was very, very striking. And I think that's the model it introduced on. Yeah, I, I do really like the color. I mean, I'm a fan of green, you know, like I love army green too. I've liked yeah. Luna Rock, even though it's more gray green. But yeah, I'm a fan of green. Actually, one of my, my first Forerunner was green too. Actually, so was mine. My Forerunner was green. Really? Well. Yeah. What year was yeah. it? 93. Okay. Mine was 99. And I think the color was called Imperial Jade Mica in it. Oh, I remember okay. it very well. But yeah, I kind of have a soft spot for green. A lot of stuff to get to today. Yes. Lots of different news items, lots of different rumors. Mm -hmm. I think we're just going to start off with the latest news, which was the announcement that Lexus Australia will discontinue the sale of the IS, RC, and CT due to side impact testing. I'm not sure if it failed or if it was just a matter of knowing that it would fail. However, it does limit the amount of models available now in that region to a very small number. And it really does show the age of the Lexus lineup when the models are unable to complete the latest safety tests. Yeah, it you know, I hate to say it, but this is really kind of a kick in the balls for Lexus and the IS. Like the case to keep the car has already been a struggle. It was pulled out of Europe because of emissions and things like that. And I think I was looking at some of the numbers and neither the IS nor the RC nor the CT make up a huge amount of sales in Australia. But I think as the availability of those products shrinks in the rest of the world, the use case becomes smaller and smaller. And you see where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's not good. I still have some hope because when I was in Plano, the team reiterated how committed they are to IS and the future looks good. But you're definitely right that that platform is showing its age a little bit, unfortunately. Well, you do. You have to wonder what it does mean, because if they remove those three models, you're looking at ES, LS. I don't believe they they don't get the GX. They have the RX, NX, UX, lots of crossovers. The LX is available there. Yeah. But it's not by any stretch a full range lineup. Mm-hmm. And it makes maybe the brand feel a little bit more like a boutique brand 
down in Australia. But then at the same time, you do, we do see um, Lexus having a lot of success in Europe. I do think, though, that Australia is a different market than Europe. And the things that are successful in Europe may not necessarily be successful in Australia. I think so, too. And when I was looking at the numbers and like what the lineup looks like in Australia, you're right. They don't have the GX. And I guess I was a little surprised by that because Toyota SUVs basically rule the continent there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, I know that they have the Land Cruiser Prado and they have have the Land Cruiser 200, which, you know, we're about to lose. So it seems to me, what do I know? But it seems like bringing the GX there would probably be really popular. I don't know why they don't have them but maybe next generation, who knows? Well, it it kind of brings to mind, I think that it was a point that was made while you were in Plano, that the IS was specifically built for the North American market just due to Lexus USA pushing for it. And the success of that model has really taken, I believe, the other regions by surprise. Yeah. And I guess that there's been a really strong reception really just to how the car looks. Like markets have been saying, like, we want it back. How can we get it back? So I don't know necessarily that the IS will leave that market um, forever. And same with the RC. I do know that there are plans to continue with the RC. So maybe it's just a matter of a a sort of an SC delay between Mm -hmm. generations. It's not really a great look because there is a lack of continuity. Exactly. But at the same time, it's not as though this is like the death rattle of Lexus in in Australia by any stretch. Oh, yeah, I agree. I I think overall, the Lexus brand is actually really strong in Australia. It's just when you go through this process of extended life cycles for certain models and some of them come in and some of them come out and it takes time for models to replace each other. It doesn't look good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, you have people who go to a dealership and, you know, sometimes the models are there and sometimes they're not. And sometimes there's no explanation. And then when, you know, when an automaker removes a model from their lineup and somebody comes in looking for it, that's a pretty tough conquest discussion. You know, yes. Oh, there's no GS. Did you want an ES? Well, I think historically the buyers between those two have been quite different. Oh, there's no IS. Did you want an ES? Well, the ES is almost two class sizes bigger than the IS. So I really do hope that they're able to figure it out. And I hope that, you know, the IS can come back. But just to bring it full circle, I guess it's like had we've heard these rumors about the newer rear wheel drive platforms being too heavy and poorly packaged, which we touched on from the last podcast about the Mirai. We've talked about at length with the L. So I have to hope, I really, really hope that there is somewhere a new rear wheel drive flexible platform coming that could be the IS, the LS, the LC, and a couple of those other products. That would be available in all markets. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's going to have to have the latest crash and safety technology. It's going to have to come with powertrains that meet emissions. It's probably going to have to be electric friendly. So we'll see. Well, I mean, when you think about the IS and and you wonder, you know, how much that's going to impact sales how much losing three models is going to to hurt that region. Mm -hmm. But then you have the flip side where you have the U.S. just going gangbusters with sales. It's absolutely incredible what they've been able to do. Yeah, so last week Lexus posted their June and first half and Q2 sales. And the numbers are pretty crazy. I think, of course, it's important to stop and think about what the world was like a year ago. We were still kind of reeling from coronavirus and figuring out what exactly was going to happen and what wasn't. So a lot of people weren't buying luxury cars. But I will just read a couple of the numbers off here really quickly. The Lexus division posted June sales of 26,708 vehicles, up 29.1% for the first half of 
of 2021, the Lexus division reported sales of 157,713 vehicles, up 47.7%. Oh my gosh. Right. Like, I mean, you know, you're talking up nearly 70% is absolutely huge. So keep those numbers in mind because they become more relevant as we go through the rest of this list. But June alternative powered vehicle sales, by the way, Lexus defines alternative power as basically anything that's not 100% gasoline. So hybrids and electric are included in this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sales of those vehicles were up 20.7%. First half passenger car sales were up 56%. That's huge. I mean, that like passenger cars being up 56%, that means the passenger cars actually outpace the average, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Luxury utility vehicles were up almost 24%. So, you know, those numbers are crazy. And then you look at it, Lexus had best ever June sales, best ever June for alternative powered vehicles, utility vehicles, and total NX sales, best ever first half sales, basically for everything. <laughs> so, well, that's really puts it into context. You know, you do think about coronavirus, you do think about the the financial damage of that and, and mm-hmm. the, the way the numbers would have suffered through that. But at the same time, you're talking about best ever sales for Lexus. Right, right. It's like since the inception of the brand. Yeah. So they really have been able to kind of come right out of this pandemic, go in full speed. And and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the energy around like the IS. And I think that is a real inflection point for the brand was the release of the IS last year. I think you're right. And the other real hero in this situation is Toyota manufacturing. Toyota, as we know, it really hasn't had many issues with like chip shortages or material shortages yeah. due to coronavirus. But you wouldn't quite know that if you're trying to go buy a Toyota or Lexus vehicle, you know, in the last four or five months, because the fact that Ford and Chevrolet and a couple others have had major chip shortages, as have BMW and Mercedes, means that it's sent people to Toyota and Lexus to a degree that would make it look like there is a shortage. Like, again, Toyota manufacturing is basically the gold standard in the industry. They had a pile of chips. They've had a lot of materials. I know they had a little bit of a shortage for like seat foam. And I think there's a couple other small things. But Mm -hmm. on the whole, Toyota and Lexus manufacturing has been able to come out of this thing and win, which is awesome. And I think, you know, based on the strength of this, based on the strength of of China sales, we're looking at another banner year for Lexus in terms of uh, year over year. No real question of them breaking their previous records. And then you have the the NX, the new NX coming out. You have the new LX. There's also the RZ scheduled mm-hmm. to come out within 14 months. I don't know if it's 13 months now, but basically by mid 2022. Yep. And uh, next year we should have the RX and the TX. So, yeah, so. <laughs> uh, you know, it's actually, it's going to be crazy this year. The NX, I think, I think production starts in September and okay. I think they're going to start landing at dealers in October. And mm-hmm. it seems like the LX might be shown this year, but pushed to early 22. Yeah. So that would mean that next year will be new LX, all new TX, new RX, and then bringing the RZ. And yeah. We published an article about this, and I know we talked about it a bit on the last podcast. We kind of touched on it, but probably worth mentioning here again really quickly. It really seems, based on some conversations that I had while in Plano, that the LFZ Electrified and the LF1 Limitless are going to merge into one production vehicle. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is Toyota and Lexus were very proud and very excited to say that the LFZ Electrified will be here in 14 months. Keep in mind that was last month, about a month ago. And then when I was able to ask someone, you know, what's going on with the LF1 and where it's at, the answer I got on that was, you know, you'll see in about 14 months 
sense what the LF1 meant. And so <laughs> puzzle pieces put together. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you look at like the sizing and stuff like that, and you and I have talked about it at length, if you consider, you know, RX three row TX, GX, LX, I think Lexus was wise to realize that there's probably not enough room there yeah. at the top end of the portfolio for something like an LF1 and, you know, some sort of midsize electric vehicle. And I think that's going to be really popular for Lexus. If you think about how well received the LF1 and the LFZ electrified were, you mm-hmm. think about the pent up demand for a full battery electric, you know, midsize Lexus product like that, it's probably going to be huge. Well, you know, I think back now when the LF1 came to the Detroit Auto Show, I remember thinking that it, that spelled the end for the LX. I thought mm. that thought it would replace the LX in terms of the position in the lineup. And uh, obviously that's not true with the new that's- LX coming out, but that really shows how narrow a band, how narrow a segment there was for the LF1 to begin with. Yeah, and I think it, we go back to that point about body on frame being a competitive advantage for Lexus. I believe it's very possible that it was either going to be the GX or the LF1, or it could have mm. either been like the GX or the TX or the LF1, just because I think if we're looking at, you know, roughly midsize and, you know, pricing and things like that, two or three of them at that segment would have been a lot. But I think yeah. as we've seen covered a good bit on the podcast, the overlanding scene and Lexus leaning into being body on frame. And then again, some of the conversations I had when I was in Plano with people about, you know, yeah, we're definitely not going to walk away from that segment. In fact, it's only going to get better. I mm-hmm. think they made the decision of, you know, we have the GX, people love it, people know it. Like, let's keep investing in that product. Let's bring the TX because TNGA, it's probably easier and more cost effective to build out and slightly reshape a true three row RX. And I just don't think it left room for the LF1, which I understand. I mean, GX 2000 sales in June. Yeah. Like it's unbelievable what that model has been able to achieve. <laughs> yeah. And I do know GX sales specifically GX and forerunner are still pretty production constrained. And that's just because primarily from talking to some folks at Lexus that GM has had real shortages of Tahoe's and Yukon's. And for some reason, like Lexus and Toyota are able to conquest a lot of those people into GX's right. and forerunners. Yeah. So they're basically just flying off the lot and they can't build yeah. enough of them. Just crazy. And then pretty crazy news came out this week. It was about the the GS. And I mean, I never thought we'd be talking about new GS news Mm -hmm. again, but it seems as though there's the possibility that Lexus may release a hydrogen powered sedan, obviously based on the Mirai and release it as the GS. It was pretty shocking. It's funny that so much of this episode is dedicated to Australia because, you know, we've talked about it over the years, but sometimes (laughs) the a lot of these rumors and sort of speculation starts from Australia. And it seems like the executives there, which, of course, we love. But it seems yeah. like the executives there are very direct and they're very eager to talk about the brand. And, you know, yes, this is coming or no, this is not. So anyway, this originated, I guess, from an Australian media outlet. And there was something posted to Instagram that showed it has since been deleted, but it was like a future product plan. Mm-hmm. And it showed a midsize hydrogen powered sedan coming back to the Lexus lineup or coming to the Lexus lineup, potentially, I should say. Mm -hmm. So the assumption there was, is this going to be the GS coming back? But what do you think, Kevin? Well, I have to say straight up honesty that the moment that the Mirai was released was maybe the lowest point of my Lexus enthusiasm. It was really difficult to see that model coming out as a Toyota as opposed to a Lexus. And I don't want to say that this fixes that, 
but it definitely feels like a smart move. I really like the idea of hydrogen, regardless of its its long-term success. I think that being in the forefront of these alternative powertrains, particularly one that isn't associated with pure electric, is really exciting. And I really do hope that it's true. I just don't know why. <laughs> I don't know where. And there's still a lot of questions. I mean, the infrastructure for hydrogen is still very small and not going to be accessible to the majority of North America. It's a coastal technology, but at the same time, I would love for it to be true. I really would. Toyota, I think, has banded up with Honda and I believe also Hyundai to try to work like expand hydrogen infrastructure. I don't know how well that's going across the world. But you're right that it seems a bit like the case is hard to make. So and I, and I guess we also don't know if it's possible for them to put that hydrogen powertrain in something that's front wheel drive, like an ES or a TNGAK or something like yeah. that. But when I drove the Mirai in Texas, I actually really liked it. And I was surprised it doesn't feel slow with the electric motors and things like that. I, it actually was a pretty nice car to drive. I can see where potentially maybe bigger electric batteries or a slightly larger engine or something, it could be brought up a couple levels to become a GS the same way that the GS became the Mirai. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I guess I just go back to like, does it make sense? Does it yeah. make sense? And in a market that's continuing to rapidly abandon passenger cars for SUVs, I don't know if I quite see the case. I'd like it, just like you said, I'd love for this to be true. You guys know the GS is one of my all time favorite Lexus products, but I'm having a hard time seeing this happen as a GS. But I, I also considering that it was shown as like, quote unquote, leaked product roadmap. There was talk for years of a hydrogen LS too. remember. Right. So, yes, you know, who knows if it wasn't they're not hinting at a next generation LS that's hydrogen or who knows if the hydrogen powertrain will fit in the ES or something. I'm just not sure. But I don't I don't I don't see it happening. So I say no. And I think, you know, thinking about the LS, the next generation LS being unlike anything mm -hmm. that's come before it. And I wonder if maybe some sort of alternative powertrain might be part of that. But then it's not a midsize sedan. Right. And then I was thinking, you know, well, maybe they'll do the ES as a and, you know, use this hydrogen powertrain in an ES. But it is worth noting that the Mirai is rear wheel drive. Mm hmm and therefore not really compatible with transplanting that powertrain into an ES. The packaging of that platform looks very specific. And yeah. when you when you peel back the shell and you look at the platform and the packaging, you know, they have the hydrogen stacks in different places, they have the batteries in different places, and it's packaged around that platform in a very specific way. So I don't know that it's going to be an easy translation to front wheel drive like the ES or, you know, something similar. So I just don't know that I see it. I don't know. What are you going to say on this rumor? Yes or no? I always err on the side of uh, leaked product roadmaps. You know, seeing something like that, I actually didn't see it. So I didn't either. So if I think if I had seen it, I would have seen the font used or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I would have known if it was real or not. But I just think that if it was an actual leaked document, that it's kind of hard to deny its possibility. So I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning towards yes. Okay. I'll say no, and I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> we should start betting on these things. Right.
But speaking of rumors, Kevin, there was another rumor that came out recently that you were very excited about. Yes, the UC small coupe based on the Toyota 86. There was a rumor out of Japan that Lexus was looking at using the same platform as the Subaru BRZ Toyota 86. And and this was really exciting to me because these small coupes are one of my favorite segments. It's definitely as a, you know, being married and and having two cars, having something like that as a third vehicle would be fantastic. And so I was very excited about this. And and I have been very excited about the idea of a Lexus 86 for some time. I also have to tell everyone that Kevin has been talking to me about potentially buying an 86 for, I think, three years now. Yeah. <laughs> so such a vehicle, it's hard. It's hard to imagine something that would be more perfect for you than yeah. essentially a Lexus version of the 86. I mean, a lot of that has to come with the driving experience of the 86 is really fun. Like it's a great vehicle to drive. It's very engaging. And, you know, a lot of it is that like idea that Toyota has like this fun to drive. They use that a lot. Lexus has in in the past as well. There's a real opportunity with uh, Lexus 86 to inject accessibility to the brand in terms of having a vehicle at the lower end of the market that has the performance characteristics that younger people like. We all know like the subculture around vehicles like the 86, you know, the Nissan Z and and things like that. And those people are going to come to a point where they're going to want a luxury car. And Mm -hmm. the one thing about this, and we have talked about it before, is, you know, Lexus cannot build a version of the Supra. They're just not right. allowed to. And that, that might be actually be worth on touching on. Like, as I've seen yeah. people mention, like, maybe it makes more sense for them to do a version of the Supra. Well, no, they can't. Yeah, they're just not able to. I mean, that was the part of the, the agreement with BMW. So this is really, and obviously Toyota has a significant investment in Subaru, making this much more possible. And I think that for Lexus to do something like this, it would, really sh- it would show a real commitment to what they've been talking about for so long in terms of the driving experience, a fun to drive. All of those things are very present. I have not driven the second generation 86 yet, but I am very familiar with the the previous generation. And I actually did write a story in 2013 arguing that Lexus should build an 86 <laughs> after driving the, I guess it was the GT86 at the time. Mm-hmm. When I drove the, the GT86, I, I drew a lot of parallels to the LFA in the way that it was such a dedicated driving machine. And I actually said that I liked the 86 better because it wasn't 300 and whatever it was, $75,000. <laughs> and you didn't really feel that kind of pressure or stress when you were driving it. And I mean, people that own an LFA don't necessarily feel that stress that I did. But <laughs> I remember feeling very worked up about, you know, driving an LFA around. And the GT86 was just fun. It had the same sort of fun character, but it was just so accessible and easier and slower. And it was all just a great package, you know, with the idea that there's going to be a second generation RC. I mean, they're not giving it this up, but their strategy around performance has been so haphazard, you know, even since the ISF in the way that it just happens in, in fits and starts. And I think that, well, we haven't had any real confirmation that there's a second generation RC, but if that rumor turns out to be true, 
there's definitely room. There might it's like in for a penny, in for a pound. Might as well invest in the lower end of the lineup and have something there for people to kind of grow into. And the things that you said about the IS, you know, in terms of its age being the lowest in the segment and being the youngest buyer for Lexus. Mm -hmm. I think that this is another gateway to that. And there's such a culture around these two-door, you know, entry-level coupes. And there's not really anything out there like that. And I think that Lexus likes that kind of thing. They like to be in segments where no one else is. And it's evidenced by, you know, their commitment to body on frame and even their commitment to the naturally aspirated V8s. And they like to do things different. And I just think that this fits. I think it fits within that. What do you think? A couple different things. I don't think that the philosophy of building an 86 as a Lexus works. And I think even with performance, when you look at what a Lexus buyer expects with certain things, like with regard to, you know, noise, vibration and harshness and yeah. smoothness and things like that, you know, the that's not even like on the radar, really, for the 86. Like that's a car that's <laughs> purpose built to be yeah. light and agile and, you know, quick and, you know, light and agile and quick comes at the expense of sound deadening and high quality interior materials and things like that. So, and look, I'm certainly not saying it's not possible, but, you know, we know this about the first generation and I know it even more about the second generation after talking to Paul Williamson and Plano, but that platform is engineered in a very specific way. And I was even teasing Paul saying, you know, oh, Paul, like, when are they going to slap the turbos on and come out with like a GR, you know, whatever, GRMN86 or something. And Paul basically explained to me that everything from like the cowl height to the suspension geometry to certain like points in the platform were really not built for turbos because if they add them, they have to raise essentially like it's not as easy as being able to throw turbos on like certain right. the height of certain components and the build of the platform and the chassis itself has to change. And that's another thing is like that rumor specifically was saying that this quote unquote UC was going to be the boxer engine with a plug in hybrid electric powertrain. I don't see that like again, no, if you like similar to what we we were saying about the Mirai, if you pull back, you know, the bodywork and you start to look at the packaging of that platform, where are they going to put batteries? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot know, of room. Yeah. Like you can fit them in a RAV4 Prime because it's an SUV and it has, you know, under floor height and stuff, but the 86 really doesn't. Number one, I think is really, I don't see how you can take the product and Lexusify it and still make it appealing. You know, if you add a couple, you know, you add more sound deadening and more insulation and nicer interior materials and premium luxury features and things like that, you know, it's going to be like three, 400 pounds heavier than the 86 is now. Yeah. And so it's like, well, then you have to have a way to offset that. Okay. Well, the other thing too, is that 2.4 liter Subaru boxer engine. Let's be honest. There's a lot of great things about the 86, but the way the engine sounds, isn't really one of them. No. <laughs> like, yeah. like those boxer engines don't sound great. You know, they're great no. for low center of gravity, but they don't sound great. So I, I Again, I don't I don't think the engine is a good fit for a Lexus product. Number two is that point we were just making about how do you put a plug in powertrain into a package that's already so tightly put together? I don't see that happening. And number three is Lexus has already had a hard enough time creating some sort of success with the coupes they have. Like yes, the SC yeah. is the only one that has ever seen a second generation RC, you know, who knows I'm hopeful LC, who knows LFA, who knows. So yeah. I would really rather see Lexus focus on making the RC great 
like whether it's bigger or smaller or something, you know, the RC's kind of had a rough shake. Like the platform is a mishmash of IS and GS and ISC, and then they were going to build a convertible and then they weren't. And then like the car kind of came at the wrong time when everything yeah. switched to SUVs. And so they tried to fix some of it with the refresh. And then you have the track edition, which is a hundred thousand dollars and probably somewhat overpriced for what it really is. So to me, if we want to say like, I want to see an approachable, more affordable, fun Lexus coupe, take the RC and like we were chatting about before with some sort of new flexible rear wheel drive platform, like do something great with the RC, give the RC a second chance. I just don't see it with the UC. That's my, that's my final. So I'm going to say no on this rumor. <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking about what you said and, and I agree, you know, even back in 2013, when I was arguing the point in the beginning, like you need to add a little bit of sound deadening. You know, one of the mm-hmm. things about the LFA, it's not quiet, <laughs> right? Like driving the LFA at slow speeds, the transmission sounds like a can with marbles in it. Like there's just <laughs> a lot going on in that car. And, mm-hmm. but I know what you're saying about how Lexus you know, values there, you know, the NVH. I just wonder if maybe there's an opportunity to kind of get away from that. And I wonder if the UC is that. I think that it's found money in terms of a platform. They already have two models based on it. They would potentially just be reskinning the the 86 as a Lexus. But I do think that at the minimum, they're going to have to add a little bit more technology, a little bit more uh, sound deadening. And that's going to make it harder for that Boxster engine to keep up. And so it would definitely 100% need a different powertrain. I also do not see it coming out as a plug-in hybrid. Yeah. It's just a bad, it's a bad fit. Like the weight of that. And it's just that, that makes no sense to me. I mean, I can ignore a lot about this rumor, but that powertrain, I just, I just can't see it. And that's a shame because it would fix my one thing that I really struggle with, uh, with the uh, 86 and owning one in Canada is, um, is it not having all wheel drive? Mm-hmm. So I was kind of excited because I was like, well, if it's a plug-in hybrid, they're going to be able to push power to all four wheels. But you know, the more I thought about it, I was like, there, there's no way they're going to add that much weight. And there's no way that they're going to be able to offset that weight with additional horsepower. The other thing, too, is when you look at building true sports cars, like, you know, something like an 86 or something like a Supra, you know, we're used to talking about cars in the context of the TNGA era, where it's like you can take an Avalon or you can take a RAV4 or an RX and like build them all on the same platform. When you build a sports car, the nature of things like your wheelbase and like how much weight is over the front wheels and how much weight is centered in the platform and things like that becomes much, much more important than it Mm -hmm. is for like flexible front wheel drive or rear wheel drive platforms. And I say that because there's also rumors of Toyota working on a next generation Supra. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. Yeah. But I would love to think that Toyota could potentially take, you know, a next generation platform and use it for like the Supra and the RC and the IS and things like that. And BMW does it to a degree, but things like the two series or the four series, those aren't real sports cars. Like those are kind of like luxury coupes with sporty platforms and power trains. And they're great cars. You know, I'm not hating on that. But but they're not purpose built. Right. So it's then like, you know, you bring this full circle again, you come back to the 86 and it's like like a nip and a tuck here and a battery here and 200 pounds more there. I think it just ends up creating a formula that you actually really can't work with. (laughs) And Toyota has even almost said that at different points about this 86. Like, no, we didn't turbocharge it. You know, no, we didn't make it a whole lot bigger. We changed the engine. We fixed the issue of there being a hole in the torque band. But that's it. That platform and that size of a car and that weight of a car, like 
the formula is very, very specific. Maybe in the future, like if there is some truth that Toyota is working on a next generation Supra, I could see a world again where like a Supra and an RC or a Supra and an SC yeah. like they used to could share parts. But I just think that the 86 formula is too specific to be able to turn it into a Lexus. So what do you think about that spy shot that showed a, an 86 with a spindle grill? I don't know. I saw some things online about people were saying if you like really zoom in on it, it looks like it was Photoshop. But that oh. spy, <laughs> but that spy shot came out before there were ever any rumors about the UC. So yeah. I don't know. And we have seen Toyota do some camouflage on their cars that's just different across the front end, like sort of spindly, like some of it's blacked out, some of it's yeah. kind of more square. So I don't know. I I honestly think that from that picture, I think Toyota probably had an '86 prototype they were finishing, and you know they may have taken some camo and you know spindled it or squared it off or something and away it goes they just had an extra front end of a alexis sitting around and thought well <laughs> might as well slap this on yeah but i will say that again i know that there's people who work for lexus who listen to this podcast so when i see that you guys like these posts that we make on instagram <laughs> it does raise my eyebrows i'm like did we hit on something here and also if it is true let us know right <laughs> we want to know right just comment a winked emoji on the post that's all i need yeah, yeah, yeah. Or send us some anonymous tips here. Yeah, give us something. <laughs> you know, we're just going to continue on with this on the rumor train here. And uh, yeah, we have a fairly large rumor. Mm-hmm. And that is the LX750H. And you're going to tell us all about it. <laughs> So this one is interesting and exciting to me for a couple different reasons, but essentially now we know about the twin turbo V6 because it's official in the Land Cruiser and it's most likely the one that's going to go into the Tundra and the LX as well. We've talked a bit about the designation for 600 versus 570. Mm -hmm. So this rumor is that the new hybrid for the LX is going to be LX750H, and it will combine the three and a half liter twin turbo V6 with a hybrid system and allegedly produce something like 480 horsepower and 642 pound feet of torque. Yeah. So, well, you know, to start off with, you got to remember that Lexus is committed to producing a hybrid or electric powertrain for every vehicle mm-hmm. in the lineup. So there is the possibility is there that this is correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is. It certainly is. We've been chatting a bit about the quote unquote 600H powertrain, mm-hmm. this version of the twin turbo V6 plus hybrid. 750H seems like a lot to me. <laughs> yeah. But specifically, if it's really 642 pound feet of torque, that's almost 200 more pound feet than the twin turbo V6 itself. So I'm not going to say that it's impossible because battery technology is changing quickly all the time. But the original rumors that we heard about this system were almost 500 horsepower and around 550 pound feet of torque. To me, that probably feels a little bit more ballpark. But I'm also not going to say that I don't think, you know, we talked about this once too, like it's a lot easier to package batteries into a body on frame platform, Mm -hmm. depending on the batteries, how big they are, what the construction of them is and things like that. I could actually see the 600 pound feet of torque number becoming a reality. So how does this all compare to competitors in terms of, and I'm not thinking about necessarily luxury competitors, but more um, the the Tahoe and the, the Yukon and yeah like it destroys them yeah it does so yeah 
probably worth reminding everyone the specs for the new Land Cruiser tune of the twin turbo V6 is either 409 or 410 horsepower and 480 pound feet of torque. If this powertrain goes up to 480 or allegedly 483 horsepower and, you know, let's say 640 pound feet of torque, that is the strongest powertrain in its class kind of hit or miss with the navigator mm -hmm. and it also shares this with the raptor is 450 horsepower and 510 pound feet of torque the escalade is 420 horsepower and 460 pound feet of torque so the escalade okay. really gets slapped around there but yeah. we but we do know that cadillac is about to put a new version of their black wing v8 in the escalade yeah. And then the X750i has 456 horsepower and 479 pound feet. And then last but not least, the GLS 580 has 483 horsepower as well, but 516 pound feet of torque. So you can see where the base twin turbo V6 is quite a bit below all of those yeah, by a healthy absolutely. margin. But going by these rumored specs, the 750h would be like a monster like kind of out of the ballpark <laughs> yeah so you know i go back to the fact that it seems a little more realistic that it might be like 540 or 550 pound feet of torque instead of 640 or 650 but even if it's that even if it's 100 pound feet of torque less that still makes the lx 750h theoretically stronger than everything else i just think it's crazy to designate something in the 700s in it for it not to be over 500 horsepower I, yeah, I do too. We've mentioned that these numbers are starting to feel a little bit irrelevant, quite frankly. Yeah, arbitrary. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, you know, Lexus can call it what they want. And I know that there's an element of people being able to feel like they're getting something more or something special or whatever you want to call it. I think, though, like this does play into the other rumors, the, the leaked trim levels of the LX. Because mm. you have an LX750H, it's very easy to put a VIP at the end of that. Very true. And I think that having something at that level gives them the opportunity to sell an LX. I mean, it's going to break what 150,000. You got to figure. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be yeah, up there. And yeah. I mean, you need to have the power to justify a price like that. And this could be it. I mean, are we talking like this 750H is going to be in the, you know, the next generation LS? Is is the, is the GX going to get this powertrain? Like, is this going to be one of their primary hybrid powertrains moving forward? It would have to be used in more than just the LX. Yeah, I bet this, I mean, we know for sure it's going to go in the Tundra. It's probably, I assume, also going to end up going maybe even in like the Sequoia. And then I think just like you said, like probably a version of this goes into the LS and, you know, maybe potentially the LC too. Like mm. we've talked yep. about how the LC500H really needs really needs a bit more power yeah this would help solve that problem especially if there's no more v8s in the future this is definitely what they're making their v8 replacement but it also makes me feel like okay so now we're talking about a powertrain with over 600 pound feet of torque mm -hmm. almost 500 horsepower what's the f going to use like what's point. the next level of beyond this and i think that you start getting into some scary horsepower numbers <laughs> mm-hmm it definitely allows them to start to contribute to these these horsepower wars that have been going on and they've been ignoring for the last five years, you know, mm -hmm. the last 10 years. They just have not tried to compete on numbers. Yeah. And now to come up with something that 
potentially decimates the rest of the, the segment. That's a huge difference in yep. terms of the, the way that Lexus and Toyota are operating. Remember when I was at Plano and I mentioned that I was chatting with somebody about the IS500 and they kind of laughed and said, you know, that car's probably the end of an era. And I asked mm-hmm. a question about V8s. I mean, I don't know. It was nothing official and I'm not trying to relay any inside information, but it seemed to me like if there's ever going to be a V8 in the future, it's probably going to have to come packaged with a hybrid for the sake of emissions. Yeah, yeah there's a possibility there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've chatted about that where it's like if they want and if it's on the table, you know, hybrid plus V8, just like you said, you start to look at the realm of, you know, seven to 800 horsepower or more. But look like that's where some of these hybrid high performance powertrains already are at. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me. So I think in the future, when we do these rumors, I kind of like the idea of like reviewing it and then be like, Kevin, do you think true? Yes or not? Michael, <laughs> Scorchy. yes or no? Yeah. yeah. So Kevin, LX750H, yes or no? Do you think it's true or you think it's not? Oh, yes, I do think it's true. I think that Toyota has been saving this powertrain. I think that they need to do something like this. I think that it's important for their brand to lead again. I don't know if it's true, but I really, really hope that it is. Because just like the UC, I just like the idea of Lexus doing things differently. It's really hard. I can't imagine that anybody at Lexus is giving out exact numbers for anything. And so, you know, a lot of this is guesswork. Mm-hmm. There is something to be said about the fact that it is so much more powerful than anything else out there. I do see it as true, but I don't know necessarily that it's going to be able to deliver on the numbers that were reported. I agree with you. I, I mean, I know yeah. I said no on the GS rumor and no on the UC rumor, but I think this one's probably <laughs> true. Um, yeah. And I, I agree with you that, you know, it might end up being like, 550 pound-feet of torque instead of 642. Mm -hmm. And I also spent some time thinking about this before. When we look at hybrids historically, like what has the spread been between a gas model and a hybrid model? Right. And it varies. Like we have, you know, ES300H or ES350, in which case the hybrid is the least powerful version. Mm -hmm. We've had generations of the LS where you had 460 and then you had 600H. We we had RX where you had 350 and then 450H. And then we have like the UX where you go 250 and then you only go, you know, like quote unquote half a liter up to 250H. So it's really Mm -hmm. all over the place and it's hard to pinpoint. I think if they feel that this new twin turbo V6 tune for the Land Cruiser is quote unquote 600 as we've chatted about, then I do believe that quote unquote liter and a half extra of displacement given by the electric motors very legitimate but I, i'm with you that i think the output might be a little bit different this powertrain could be their chance to make a really strong statement like this this could be the moment of like you are not going to build you a v8 and you're about to not care yeah exactly <laughs> so, yeah. yeah and it's also going to get you know like 28 or 30 miles to the gallon which would be insane or something like that Well, you know, like with Lexus staying with these V8s for so long, you really do have to hit it out of the park with the replacement. Mm -hmm. All the other brands have already really abandoned the V8. And so it's just there is a bit of a different expectation, I think, with Lexus and Toyota replacing their V8s. I think so, too. And again, it's this time in the podcast where I'm going to like pull out and dust off my crystal ball. But Lexus (laughs) has made those comments about the next generation LS is going to be different. I personally think the next generation LS will not have a gasoline only version. I think it will Mm. either be all hybrid or plug in or hydrogen or something like that. 
And yeah. this powertrain, as we've described, like if it comes at, you know, 450 to 500 horsepower and 500 to 650 pound feet of torque, like that throws the LS right back in the top of the game where it needs to be. And it should yeah. be. There's a lot of different like reasons that I think this is a yes. So. And then I guess there's really only one thing to cover. And yeah. that's we're going to we're going to go back to Plano. Yep. We're, you're going to bring us back to Plano. We're going <laughs> to yeah. talk about <laughs> yeah. we're going to talk about your experience with Lexus teammate. Yeah. We are. So when we recorded the last podcast, it got pretty long, obviously, and we kind of ran out of time. And a lot of you have asked about Teammate and you're interested in the technology and how does it work and what is it going to come on and when is it going to be here? So we wanted to dedicate some specific time for Teammate. So when I was in Plano, Lexus was running demos for Teammate, which were awesome. I wasn't expecting to be able to see the system in person. I actually was able to sit in the back seat of the LS500H that had teammate which yep. i'm gonna tell you i think was actually the best seat in the house because you can see the dash and you can see when the car tells you to take control or when it's going to take control yeah. so i think it's important to frame teammate the way that lexus has which is that it's complementary to the driving experience and not seeking to like take over the driving experience it's this is not a tesla autopilot and i can tell you that after experiencing it it's kind of like a step or two above cruise control you know years ago we had cruise control and then it was radar cruise control and laser cruise control i would say that teammate feels like a step or two past those latest technologies and the best way i can describe it again is once you get on the highway and once the conditions kind of open up, Teammate is really, really a great technology. And again, I know I keep saying this, but it's important to kind of adjust your expectations for what it's going to be or what it's not going to be. It's not going to be a situation where you get in your car and you kick back and close your eyes and you wake up on Read the a other magazine. end. Right. right. But it is a system that when you are in the car and you're driving, it definitely helps take some of the load and the fatigue off. You know, when I was yeah. in the car, you know, the dashboard lights up and it tells you, I think it says, you know, teammate active. And uh, also we're going to post these videos at the same time as the podcast so that you can see what it's like in action. I took a couple of videos from the backseat of the car, but, you know, the dash tells you everything like it tells you, you know, teammate ending, you know, teammate active. You know, you can click the blinker and the car will find a place in traffic to merge or get on or get off. Also, you know, as we've discussed, if you don't hold the steering wheel or if you're exiting the highway and teammate is turning off and you don't take control, the car will like put on the flashers and slow down. <laughs> um, so there's still still requires driver involvement, no question about it. And it's very much a Lexus approach to automated driving technology. But the system, it really was cool. And, I, and you know, you get in not really 100% knowing what to expect. And I think after about 15 or 20 minutes and especially approaching 30 minutes, you realize that Teammate really is just sort of another layer of technology over top of, you know, the user experience of the car as it stands. And it's really complimentary. I mean, it's really nice to be able to, you know, when you're settling in and you're going for a road trip and you hop on the highway in the future state, you can use teammate and can pretty much set the car to cruise it will maintain lane if the car in front of you slows down it will look to move over a lane and be able to speed back up it can look for exits and get off at the right exit at the right time those are a long way from something like tesla autopilot but again like you and i've chatted about i don't know that i think the lexus buyer is thirsty for something like autopilot right now and i think teammate is sort of the incremental uh, approach to that driving technology at a future time, but it's not there now. 
Well, to kind of build on your thought about cruise control, radar cruise control, there are specific scenarios that are difficult. And one of those scenarios is passing somebody on the highway, Mm -hmm. is moving over to pass somebody that's slow. And if teammate can answer that, if teammate can solve that single problem, I think that it's a worthwhile technology. I think that that's a, that causes a lot of congestion. I think it causes a lot of potential safety, those lane changes. And for there to be technology that can handle that is, I think, is incredible. But at the same time, it, it is just an augmentation. I mean, you right. could do that if you needed to. Right. <laughs> like, right. So there's definitely room for more autonomous driving. But if it, this is something that doesn't pop up in the news every once in a while about driving into a wall or right running somebody over, unfortunately, it is a different approach. And I think that this allows Lexus to really set expectations within the market of where they're willing to go and what they're willing to do with this sort of autonomous technology. But yeah, it made me pretty excited to see what happens in the future. I believe that there is going to be some teammate functionality coming to the 2022 LS. They, I think we'll know more on that in the next couple of months. But thinking about the future and you know the way that the system will grow, because especially when we get to the new world of Lexus interface, like cars are going to be able to do a lot of over the air real time updates. So I think that these yeah. functionalities will actually build on themselves year over year, which is exciting too. So overall yeah i enjoyed the system and you know thanks again to the lexus product team for giving us the demo and the opportunity to experience it uh, yeah so we 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 burned through a lot of lexus news today we did this was a lot yeah from from uc to lx like total opposite ends of the spectrum that <laughs> yeah. was a lot, so the full range right for sure even yeah. if it's just imaginary <laughs> <laughs> So that's it for today. Thank you guys for tuning in and joining us. Again, we will post up the teammate videos so that you can see them. And other than that, we will catch you on the next episode of the podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye.